This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Lawmakers are back in the State House this week for the start of the 2024 session. Here to tell us more about what kind of bills they are considering is NHPR's Paul Kuno Booth. Morning, Paul. Morning. And Happy New Year. You as well, Rick. Hey, yesterday the House voted on several bills that affect the rights of transgender residents, as we've been reporting, Paul. The House passed a bill that that prohibits minors from getting some gender transition surgeries. Can you tell us more about what is in this bill? Sure. So if it passes the Senate, this bill would ban what are called bottom surgeries for people under 18. Those are gender-affirming genital surgeries. This bill started out quite a bit broader. The original version would have banned all gender-affirming care for minors. That includes things like puberty blockers and hormone therapy. It also contained various limitations on the rights of trans students in public schools. Lawmakers stripped those parts out of the bill yesterday, so the version that's moving to the Senate uh, would just ban those gender-affirming bottom surgeries. Now, what have healthcare professionals been saying about this, Paul? Well, the Republican lawmakers who put this bill forward say they want to protect children from rushing into irreversible medical procedures. It's worth noting, though, you know, medical providers say bottom surgeries are very rarely done before age 18. More broadly, the country's major medical societies all support access to gender affirming care. They say it can be critical for the mental health and safety of trans youth. And local advocates for LGBTQ rights say lawmakers shouldn't be interfering in people's medical decisions. They also say this kind of bill can send a harmful message to trans youth. Here's how it was put by Representative Jerry Cannon. She's one of a handful of trans lawmakers in the House. It's not right for New Hampshire. It's not right for the transgender community. And I hope that our young people don't take this message badly because I'm concerned about the health of many young transgender people. Now, Paul, the, the House considered other bills related to transgender residents' rights. Where did those land? The House also passed a bill to create certain exceptions to New Hampshire's non-discrimination law, which generally prohibits discrimination on the basis of gender identity. This bill would allow public and private entities to separate bathrooms, sports, and detention facilities by, quote, biological sex. That will also now head to the state Senate. Lawmakers also rejected two proposals that had been uh, put forward by LGBTQ rights advocates. One would have made it easier for people to change their birth certificate to reflect their gender identity. The other would have created legal protections for people who are seeking or providing gender affirming care in New Hampshire. Well, I'm wondering about the, you know, the broader context of, of these kinds of proposals appearing in the New Hampshire legislature. I mean, this kind of mirrors some, some national trends, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. The, these bills aren't you know appearing out of nowhere. Uh, there, there's kind of been a wave of legislation around the country in the past few years targeting the rights of trans youth. By one count, more than 20 states have passed bans on gender affirming care for minors. So, you know, people I've talked to at protests over the past year um, who, who've come out against these bills in New Hampshire, uh, including trans granite staters and their families. They say this really feels like an attack on them. Okay, we'll be watching for more reporting on this, Paul. Democrats are proposing several bills that that could protect access to abortion in the state. Um, What are their priorities on, on this issue, Paul? 
So Senate Democrats have proposed adding protections for personal reproductive autonomy to the state constitution. They've also filed a bill uh, that aims to protect and expand access to medication abortion. You know, medication is now used for more than half of abortions nationwide, and and obviously that makes it easier to uh, access if you're in a rural area or face other barriers. So that's a key priority of abortion rights advocates. Another bill would create legal protections for people who seek or provide abortions in this state. Uh, the idea there is to shield people who may come to New Hampshire from a state with more abortion, uh, more restrictive abortion laws, if that state ends up trying to prosecute them. Now, briefly, Paul, do we know how? Do we know much about how people are coming to New Hampshire for abortions? Do we know? Do we have any data or numbers on that? Well, we know that northern New England in general has seen an increase in out-of-state patients seeking abortions since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Planned Parenthood of Northern New England, which serves Maine and Vermont as well as New Hampshire, uh, said it's seen a 12.5 percent increase in those out-of-state patients in the first year after that decision. And of course, the concern is that, you know, those home states could try to prosecute them or try to prosecute anyone who helped them get an abortion in New Hampshire, even though it's entirely legal here in this state. Now, I imagine support for these bills you know, falls along partisan lines in the, in the, the state house. Well, that's been the case for other abortion-related bills this term. The state Senate is controlled by Republicans. They voted down past attempts to expand abortion rights last year. So these bills probably face an uphill battle as well. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. NHPR's Paul Kuno Booth, health and equity reporter. Thanks for the time. Thank you. It's Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news. If you've got some questions that you have uh, about our reporting or you want to inform our reporting on what's going on in the state, we'd love to hear from you. You can always email us at voices at nhpr.org. Now, this week, the House passed a number of bills that would make changes to the state's bail system. Amanda Goki from the Boston Globe has been following this, and she joins us now. Good morning, Amanda. Hi, Rick. And Happy New Year to you. You as well. Let's start with some historical context here. The legislature passed a significant bail reform package back in 2018. Can you remind us of what that did and, and the impact that it had on the state? Yeah. So 2018 is a really good place to start for this. The state passed bail reform that essentially moved us away from cash bail, where some people were released based on their ability to pay for their freedom. So proponents of this change say, you know, that's a really deeply problematic and unjust situation. And now lawmakers are mostly talking about what's called personal recognizance bail. So that means instead of paying to be released, people have just promised that they will appear in court at their court date and, and agreed to other conditions of their bail. You know, people have noted it's it's pretty expensive. It can be very expensive to jail people while they await trial. And it can have an extremely high cost to the person involved. Getting out on bail can be the difference between someone keeping a job and losing it. There's some disagreement about the impact this has had on the state. So that sets the stage for what we're seeing at the state house now. Uh, proponents of the 2018 reforms, groups like the ACLU, have pointed to statistics that show a decrease in both crime and arrests since bail reform first passed. Um, but you also have you know, testimony from police chiefs saying they've had problems with repeat offenders, people who get let out on bail and then recommit crimes and, and really trouble getting low-level offenders to show up for their court dates. Okay, so what are some of the biggest changes in these new bail reform bills that, that passed this week? So there's a couple of big changes. For one thing, the bills would increase pay for bail commissioners. These are the people who are oftentimes making decision about who gets let out on bail. They're supposed to receive $40 per bail, but many testified that they often 
don't get paid at all. So this would raise their pay to $50 per bail and also change the pay structure to with the goal of trying to ensure that they actually do get paid. The hope is that will draw more people and help decrease the backlog of cases. It also requires these commissioners get mandatory training, which is important. They need to know what the actual laws are in place that they and the tools that they have for detaining someone. And it also creates a system of, of magistrates to essentially help administer this, this bail system. It takes steps towards creating a centralized data system um, so information can be more easily shared between police departments and the courts all in one place. And for a list of 13 violent crimes, things like murder, assaults, it withholds immediate bail and instead requires those individuals to first appear before either a judge or a magistrate. Um, And it does set a 24-hour timeline for those hearings to occur. So this is, you know, there's a lot of nuance here, but these bills are largely bipartisan, aren't they? That's right. So these are definitely issues where both sides have been able to agree to these changes. They sort of emerged out of a a failed negotiation between House lawmakers and Senate lawmakers last spring um, when they really could not see eye to eye on on how to move forward with this system. So this emerges out of, you know, months of work in a House, the House Public Safety Committee um, to try to figure out what is the common ground between Republicans and Democrats. So these are sort of the issues that they can really agree on as to how the 2018 law needs to be reformed. They're trying to make that law work better to address some of the criticism that it that it's not working as as was intended. And, you know, that's important with things like um, the the centralized data system. The people who are making decisions about bail, if they don't know someone has been already released on bail, that would inform the way that they're making the subsequent decision. I noted that the the new mayor of Manchester just sworn in this week, Jay Ruay, came to the state house to advocate for these bail reform bills. What did he have to say? Yeah, that's right. And it's notable because this was really one of the first official acts that he did in in this new office. He was inaugurated just the day prior. He came to the state house to congratulate lawmakers and, and encourage them to continue tackling this issue. He really emphasized just how critical a public safety issue this is for Manchester. Um, you know, we we oftentimes hear about some of these crime issues in Manchester. He said there were, you know, over 800 people in the city in 2023 who were uh, released on bail and then committed another crime. And and that's really an issue that he's, you know, hoping that lawmakers take seriously and, and move to address. Amanda, what are some of the other bills that you've been following in, in this first week back at the State House? So another one, there was a public hearing yesterday on House Bill 341. This bill would require school employees to respond to written requests from parents. So if a parent had a question, they write in. It sets out essentially a 10-day timeline um, within which school employees would have to respond, quote-unquote, honestly and completely. Uh, You know, it doesn't say anything specifically about LGBTQ students, but one concern that's already surfaced about this bill is that it could forcibly out students to their parents before they are ready. If a student writes to the school asking about their gender identity or gender expression in school, it would require those teachers, but also it it extends beyond teachers. It includes other school staff. So it could include janitors. It could include 
bus drivers. So it's it's that language is relatively broad. What, what was the response from the public? I mean, what kind of testimony were you hearing yesterday on this? So people really had a lot to say about this. Public testimony went on for hours. We heard from former teachers and school counselors who opposed it, um, you know, speaking to how this could really harm the relationship between teachers and students, um, that it could have a chilling effect on those conversations and create a sense of surveillance in schools um, that, you know, currently in some situations, students feel that's a safe place where they can talk to a trusted advisor, an adult in their life. Um, There was also a lot of testimony from LGBTQ youth who spoke to their own coming out processes, and they really emphasized that, you know, even if they ultimately gained the support of their parents in their gender identity, that they needed that safe space at school to be able to process their feelings before, as a part of their preparation even, for speaking with their parents about it. Yeah, I know. And last year, Republican lawmakers proposed a a so-called parental bill of rights. Again, this is kind of a national trend that's been happening, which would have required schools to to disclose information about a child's gender identity to parents. And and, just speaking to that, that bill did fail, but this House bill, this 341, it it sounds similar. Yeah, and that's right. So this is an interesting sort of strategy that we're seeing with the parental bill of rights. It failed in the House in a way that it was not the exact language of that bill was not allowed to be brought back this year. So instead, what lawmakers are doing is they've taken elements of that Parental Bill of Rights and split it up into smaller pieces. And House Bill 341 is sort of one example where it's a, it's a small component of what had been a larger bill. Um, you know, it's interesting. This is a strategy that has been successful in the past with issues like housing. Um, but obviously, there's bipartisan agreement about elements of a housing uh, policy that we may not see here. In sure. Time-honored tactic of trying to get it passed piece, piecemeal. Yeah. Amanda Gelke is reporter for the Boston Globe. Amanda, thank you. Thanks so much. You can find more of her reporting and all the stories, in fact, that we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and bostonglobe.com slash nh. We're here next Friday with more top headlines, as always. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR.